Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is uh, Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. And um, in a way, this is a continuation of what preceded it, when Jesus is talking about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New, that what is in the New Testament does not obliterate or contradict what's in the Old Testament. It simply draws out its meaning into a greater depth, because the very word that is embedded in the Old Testament is the Son, is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And when he reveals himself to us in the Incarnation, then certainly the meaning of what he has spoken through the ages becomes ever more clear to us. And the first thing that Jesus did with this discussion of the relationship of the Old and New Testament is he removed the law from simply the externals and demanded that, uh, and I mean, this was, his, this was his argument with the scribes and the Pharisees. They obeyed the letter of the law. They, they, they surfed uh, along the, the top of it all. And that uh, it was not something that changed their hearts. It was not something that was deeply embedded in his criticism of them. That it was, in fact, simply a practical reality. Once again, going back to, is our faith simply an ethical, moral, um, philosophical kind of thing, or does it really embed itself in the human heart and change us as who we are as people? And so when Jesus is talking about this, and he says, you've heard you shall not kill, I say you don't hate your brother, do not commit adultery if you look with lust at someone else. And so he's drawing then, he's, he's drawing the implications of the Law and the Prophets into the individual human heart and into the heart of society itself. The Gospel today is a continuation of all of that. And he enters then into the world, into a societal world. What we have seen before, very honestly, <clears throat> is that um, he, is, he is telling us how personally the Law and the Prophets are to be interpreted in the light of the new revelation of the new covenant. Now he's telling us the social implications of that transformation, of that transition from simply um, obeying the law to living the law, I suppose, in the depths of our hearts. And so he begins with a very ancient principle. There is within human society a tendency to consider unrestrained, a tendency to consider justice as revenge. In a more primitive world, we're we're certainly seeing that in American politics today. It's motivated by hatred, it's motivated by revenge, it's motivated actually by an interior kind of violence which is beginning to manifest itself in the society. Um, and people can say, well, if we got rid of this or we got rid of that or got rid of something else, we wouldn't have this vibe. Yeah, we, it, what we have to do is work on the opening and the expansion of the human heart. So he goes back to the days that preceded the great lawgiver Hammurabi, and which was revenge was justice. Now, how do you regulate revenge? If someone were to kill my child, 
would killing their child equal the score, or would not I really believe that my child was worth more than theirs? And I would think, well, you know, if they killed my child, then I should take two of theirs to settle the score. And they say, you took two of ours, I'll have to take three, and so on and so forth. It escalates. And we see that, for instance, we see that in many parts of the world today, this idea that justice has kind of disintegrated into even the pre-Hammurabi code, which was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, into this kind of, of unlimited sense of revenge that goes on in people's lives. So, what Jesus says, you have learned how it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, now, um, so this now from the fifth century BC has become kind of a normative principle for the law of justice. But Jesus now says, you've heard this, but I say to you, I say to you, offer the wicked man no resistance. On the contrary, if anyone hits you on the right cheek, offer him the other as well. And if a man takes you to law and would have your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone orders you to go one mile, go two miles with him. And give to anyone who asks, and if anyone wants to borrow, do not turn away. So now he is he's entering in now once again to this, this mode of speaking that we've talked about before that is simply characteristic of the Hebrew language. Unable to deal with comparatives because they don't have the grammatical structure for that, they talk in terms of exaggeration instead. And the more exaggerated something is, the more, the more important it is. If we can say good, better, best, then their great exaggerations mean best. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean that the fundamental principle is not, is not simply good. So now he says, if anyone hits you on the right cheek, offer him the other as well. If a man takes you to law, have these, and so on and so forth. Okay, so now he's saying, this is so important. This, what I'm going to say is so important that I'm going to get your attention by exaggerating what I say means. It doesn't call for a total passivity, and it doesn't call for a total pacifism. It doesn't necessarily include or exclude the right of self-defense or anything like that. It's just saying what I'm going to say about intersocial relationships and interpersonal relationships is very, very important, and you should pay close attention to it. You have learned how it was said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say this to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In this way you will be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on bad as well as good, and his rain to fall on honest and dishonest alike. And so what he's saying is now, one thing that we tend to forget is that God is the creator, and God therefore has created the whole human race of every kind and type and shape and race and so forth. And God loves what he creates. We know from the book of Genesis that he says, when he looks at what he's created and he saw it was very good. We know also from scripture that sin entered the world. And in sin entering the world, it caused division and it caused evil to exist. 
And so we can say that we are radically divided and humanity is radically fractured. Um, we also find that there are very dark elements within humanity and we can look and we can see those dark elements manifest themselves in the world. We can see, for instance, the mass slaughter of, uh, of the Jews and, and, and uh, the gypsies and the homosexuals and the Catholics and the Slavs and so forth in the Great Holocaust. We can also see the evil in Chairman Mao's March to the Sea in 1959 with untold numbers of people dying in the process. We have seen also Pol Pot in Cambodia. We can see, uh, for instance, the Turks in Armenia. We can, uh, we can find oh, the Rwandan fiasco of a few years ago. We can see all of that and see in that, of course, the darkest side of humanity, the where, where hatred rules and governs policy. And Jesus is saying, remember, the people you hate and the people you want to punish for being who they are, they are children of God as well. And we assure you that as God loves us in our sinfulness, so he loves them in theirs as well. And that we should treat those societies and those peoples. Can we defend ourselves? Of course we can defend ourselves. Um, have we always defended ourselves? Um, oftentimes what is defense, what looks like defense really has been aggression. And I think that the Civil War is a great example of that. Um, and yet at the same time, what, what, what happens is, is that we have a tendency to impose upon our societal relationships those very things we experience in our personal relationships. I don't like this person. This person has been unkind to me. This person has been unjust to me. This person is radically different than I am. This person thinks radically different than I do. And therefore, I must always strive to have an advantage over them, lest they win and oppress me. That certainly is a story of American politics today. Who can oppress whom so that they themselves don't get oppressed? Um, and some of the issues are, of course, clearly moral. The issue of abortion. There is, there is no justification for a human being to advocate the destruction of their own kind, and especially the killing of children. Um, that takes us back to the, to, the, to the horrible human sacrifices of Moloch in the Old Testament, of the Aztecs and Incas in the New World, um, of, of the Germanic tribes before Christianization. You know, all of those things, the sacrificing of children, um, it, is, it boggles the mind. And yet we do it to the tune of a million or so every single year just in this country alone, say nothing of what goes on in Europe. And then we have politicians who take this as some kind of a virtue principle, um, which, which means there is great delusion and there, is, there, is, there, is a, there has to be a certain hatred inside of oneself to become an advocate. We know the struggle and the trial oftentimes that women might have with pregnancies, but certainly to be the advocate and to advocate it as virtue is something that basically should shock modern sensibilities. And so basically then, as Jesus goes on, 
And then he says, you know, um, for if you love those who love you, what right have you to claim any credit? In other words, if Christians only love other Christians, then how can they be Christian when Jesus extended that love to all peoples? Even tax collectors do as much, do they do not? He picks out the lowest form of life in Israel, those who are uh, accomplices to the Roman occupation. And, and he says, you know, even they love their own. Um, and if you save your greetings for your brothers, you are doing anything exceptional. In other words, if you're kind to your brother, if you're kind to those who are kind to you, you know, that's great. But everybody does that. Even wicked people can do that. For you must therefore be perfect. Even the pagans do as much, do they not? You must therefore be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're called to a higher standard if we are disciples of Christ. Now, we can see this in the individual sense. We can see this also. But we must look at it also in a societal sense. Um, there is an important principle about justice. And one of the things that causes grave injustices is deceit and deception and lies. Um, we know, for instance, and it's, it's interesting to me, um, in the Council of Trent, when uh, Trent is talking about the role of the priest in the confessional, they say that the priest is a judge in the confessional. And all of a sudden, we kind of recoil in horror. Um, you know, who are you to judge me? You know, obviously, you men are sinners as well. And to sit in judgment on somebody else, how can you even presume to do that? What arrogance, I'm never going to confession again, and all of this kind of thing. But that's not what Trent means by judgment. It doesn't mean that we sit in righteous judgment over others. Ju the judge's task in any legal transaction, not the defense attorneys and not the prosecutors, but the judge's role is to extract the truth from the situation. And so what the priest in the confessional is supposed to do is extract the truth from the person who is confessing. For we all know, if we're honest with ourselves, that we can rationalize our behavior. We all know that we can minimalize the things that we've done wrong, or we can greatly exaggerate them and think them much worse than they truly are. But the fact of the matter is it's very easy for us to distort the reality of what we're talking about, of what's going on in our lives. To get that outside of ourselves, in front of ourselves, and in front of somebody else whose task it is to make truth, to draw truth out of the confession, is something incredibly valuable for the human person. Because with truth, then comes an understanding of the situation. And if we really understand the plight of other human beings, we oftentimes then come to a certain sense of we desire for them mercy. And from this sense of mercy, then comes justice. And, and so it is as it is kind of as a paradigm in the confessionals, so is it, Jesus says, in regular society that we are to draw the truth out of the situation. For instance, how many wars have been started because of a false understanding of aggression or a false fear of aggression? 
um, pushing someone so hard that they respond aggressively. And then we can self-righteously say, oh, they're the aggressors and we're the innocent victims, when we ourselves have pushed them to the point of doing that. Um, that's what Jesus is talking about, this kind of deception, this kind of, of desire and lack of concern for the pain that other people experience because we desire somehow or other our will or our ideology to triumph over someone else. And that we too easily, we too easily um, uh, accuse those who disagree with us of evil intent. Maybe some of them do have evil intent. And I think that certainly when, when we talk about the advocates of abortion, there can be no good intention in that. But that, for the, for the most part, there can be no good intention for the arbitrary taking of another human life. Um, however, however, we can certainly see where people can rationalize that in, in situations of great difficulty and in situations of, uh, of extreme personal stress and so forth. That's not the advocacy. That's not the political movement. But we see it also elsewhere. For instance, when we, we talk about, and, and I've talked about this before, we talk about this, the importance of Christianity in the Holy Land. Without this principle of mercy in the legal structures of societies, they turn into not an eye for an eye, but they turn into you know, revenge as a sense of justice. And, uh, and this becomes extremely problematic in places like the Middle East. Um, and it certainly became very obvious to us in the terrible things that went on in Rwanda so many years ago. And it continued to go on with the Boko Haram and with, uh, with uh, ISIS and with the Taliban and with, uh, you know, with all of that. And uh, with the whole idea of what we call terrorism, which is simply, in a, and terrorism is really simply in a contained environment, that which Jesus is talking about in the larger environment. It's loving, your, loving those who are your own and hating those who are not. They are movements based on a false sense of justice, for they have refused to see the truth of the situation and have interpreted it, therefore, as a justification for aggression. We find that, and this is a great point of great contention in this country, too, we find the uh, beginning with John Paul II, this idea of a turning away from the idea of capital punishment being in any way, shape, or form just. And you know, it's really interesting because, well, you can't make that a fundamental Christian principle because um, the church has been guided by the Holy Spirit from the days of the apostles on, from the days of Pentecost on. And the church has been involved in the Mexican capital punishment ever since. Um, and, and, uh, and so we can't say, all right, now we have a new revelation, um, and so now it's inherently a mortal sin. We can't say that. But what we can say is that the society has changed its understanding of the notion of justice. And as the great social reformers of the Middle Ages and the early modern period struggled for humane treatment of condemned prisoners, for the rights to the sacraments and so forth, for saying, you know, while society sees the need to do this to protect itself, these are God's children and they have every right to be reconciled to him 
and they have every right to the dignity of a human person up until the end. In our society now, as we become a post-Christian society, we are reverting there, therefore to a certain paganism. We're reverting now to the idea of revenge as justice. And we see this, for instance, in, in the ordinary things. Well, you know, when, when you execute someone who, is, who has done something, you know, wicked to me or to my family or to my society, um, you know, then, then finally I have satisfaction, finally I have justice. No, you don't, because you can't bring back what was done. What was done may well have been evil, but taking the life of the other person is not reparations for that, for nothing can repair the damage that's done. And simply to repeat that same sense of the legitimacy, therefore, of functioning out of hatred or functioning out of anger, um, towards somebody else is not curative, it's not medicinal to society. It simply continues to uh, perpetuate the very same thing. And so that's why John Paul II and, uh, and today Francis um, advocate, you know, an end to, the ca to capital punishment because it is a primitive, barbaric thing at the present time. It is a sense of justice now in our post-Christian society, not on understanding and mercy and justice and truth, but now revenge. And so as Christianity wanes, so do the just, so do the limitations that Christianity put on the darker side of human, of human nature, so too then do, do they begin to disappear. And it gives free reign to much of what is within the human person, kind of a darkness, a shadow, a shade. So that there's all sorts of implications to this gospel. And once again, it's drawing out the consequences that the new covenant has for the interpretation of the old. That if the old covenant is the word of God, then the old covenant is, in a sense, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. It is Logos. It is, in fact, the one who is to become incarnate in Je as Jesus Christ. In that, however, it is seen, as Paul says, through a glass darkly. It is seen through the lens of the development of Hebrew society. It is seen as the gradual unfolding folding of God's revelation of himself to humanity. And all we can truly know about God is what God chooses to reveal of himself to us. What he reveals to us is through the word. The word, therefore, is present from the very first moment of the communication of God to humanity. Jesus even draws attention to this in the Gospel of John when he says, I am, which is God's self-identification in the burning bush. So that the Lord has been present, as the fathers say, in a mystical way, in a hidden way, in the law and the prophets. In the coming of the new covenant, it is not the obliteration of the old covenant, for the old covenant cannot be obliterated. It is the word. It is, therefore, the logos. And it is, therefore, eternal with the Father. And it is, in fact, the Son. But it can be, in the consciousness of humanity, it can be deepened as to its real meaning. Where the law and the prophets ended up in Jesus' age was in the Pharisees and the scribes, where it became simply an extrinsic kind of behavior, where it became something, my heart can be dark, but I externally obey the law. Does that make a man justified? And Paul assures us that it does not. 
that if, in fact, we live simply on the surface, simply in obedience to the written word, simply in obedience to the law, then we are not thereby justified by the word. And so the New Testament then is to bring a deeper sense of salvation, a deeper sense of justification, a deeper sense of the real and true meaning of humanity into the peoples of the New Covenant, that they may be eleven in the world to bring enlightenment, truth, understanding, mercy, and justice into the human spirit and into human societies, both now and in all of the ages to come. The more Christianity is removed from society as a leaven, the deeper society sinks into its own, into the shades of its own darkness, and the more violent does it become. Now, we can argue against that, and we can say, tell me all the good Christianity has done. Look at the violence that Christians have done. Look at World War I, World War II, essentially Christians battling with each other. And therefore the church has failed, and what we see, especially in Germany, is not, well, we have to create a new church that does it right this time. Um, it's a denial of the Holy Spirit, and that's a very serious thing, as the Lord reminds us, that because Christians sin does not mean Christianity is irrelevant. Because Christians can choose darkness over light does not mean that Jesus does not save. Because Christians are capable of choosing evil and, uh, and therefore ignoring and turning away from the deeper meaning of life itself that comes to us from the New Covenant. And this is important to understand, that the New Covenant reveals to us not just Jesus Christ, not just the triune God, but the New Covenant reveals to us also the potentiality of the human person. It tells us what we are capable of. And that's exactly what this gospel today is doing. Now, as children of the New Covenant, you are capable of much more than when you were pagans. And that capability is wrapped up in the understanding of God's love for humanity and therefore our following suit, looking through the darkness of each person into their part of them which is light, and to be a leaven for that, to enhance and brighten the light within the spirit, the souls, the hearts of others. That Christianity serves not as the great panacea, not as a thing that's going to forcibly um, solve all the problems of the world. That's what the Jews uh, who did expect the Messiah wanted Jesus to do, and they were disappointed because he didn't do it. We, the modern world, expresses a disappointment in the church because it didn't do it either in the beginning in the first half of the 20th century. That does not, that doesn't mean it's invalid, that doesn't mean it's impotent, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply anymore. What it means is that humanity needs to search its own soul to look more deeply into its own life, into its own experience, into its own social structures and, and legal structures, and find in there what the Lord is talking about in the gospel today, and that is the love of neighbor. And in that love of neighbor, we include both the good and the bad. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.
Sankt till 